and during some of the toughest times, I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time, even to this moment, uh, of different things that I that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back. Reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I spray-painted my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. The number one thing you gotta remember is your transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are going to have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life. Now... Let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Intentional Performers Podcast. I am Brian Levinson. Excited to have you with us today for another incredible episode. But before we get to today's guest, I'd like to share a bit about myself. So my day job is that I work as an executive coach and a mental performance coach. And I founded a company called Strong Skills. And at Strong Skills, our team is on a mission to change how the world thinks about soft skills. See, we are facilitators and coaches, and we truly believe that labeling competencies like leadership, teamwork, and communication as soft devalues and minimizes the importance of these skills. And one of the strong skills that we teach is what we call shift your mind. And the teachings come from my book, which came out in October of 2020. If you enjoyed today's conversation or any of our past guests, then know you're going to love the book. You can head over to Amazon or anywhere books are sold to purchase, and you can even listen to the audiobook via Audible. Thanks to all of you who have already purchased, and I've been truly overwhelmed by the response the book has gotten so far. Lastly, if you enjoyed today's conversation or any of our previous episodes, we'd love it if you went over to iTunes and wrote us a review. It really helps us expand our reach for the podcast. Thanks to all of you who have already done so, and let's continue to share these intentional performers with the world. Now to today's guest. Steve Shenbaum is the founder and president of Game On Nation, which for the past 27 years has been providing and helping sports teams, high-performance organizations, government, and military personnel improve overall communication and relationship building by combining game-based exercises with practical techniques. And what I love about this conversation is Steve gives you a glimpse into some of those practical techniques, some of the ways we can think about communication, remember best practices, and I hope you walk away from listening to this conversation today with a ton of gems and nuggets of knowledge that you can use every single day. At the end of the day, their goal is to simplify the process and put words into action. They are about doing and not just saying. They're about moving from good to know 
to good to do. So we'll talk about knowledge and wisdom in this conversation, but we'll also talk about the power of action and behavior change and the importance of making behavior sticky so that we can enhance workplace behaviors, develop authentic connection, and ultimately improve the overall team success. So you're going to love Steve. He's high energy, kind of like me. He's similar to me in a lot of different ways. And we talk about some of the shortcomings that we both have in today's conversation. So this is an open, vulnerable, and authentic conversation. And I know you're going to love Steve. So here is Steve Shenbaum. Steve, so when we were about to start chatting... Uh, you were having a hard time with your microphone and I wish you were the only person on the face of the earth who struggles with technology, but you're not. Yeah. Uh, and I was about to just hit end and restart it because it happens all the time. And it's a nightmare, especially for people that have to present uh, over technology. But the world has evolved. And so you said something to me like, I would rather just be tapped on the shoulder and go in front of a crowd without preparing at all and just go yep. perform and have to deal with technology. But here we are in 2023. And I would imagine some of your information, at least during the pandemic, definitely had to be conveyed via technology. And now I'm sure people are asking, hey, can you do a yeah. Zoom uh, presentation? So how do you approach technology and still give people the experience they want, A, and then B, how do you deal with it and the challenges of it? A, hire younger people who are really smart. <laughs> But all jokes aside, that's part of it, Brian. You know, yeah, I love the way we started authentically. I was, you were, you were miming to me because I couldn't hear you. You're like miming. And thankfully, I took a mime class at Northwestern. So that was helpful. But all jokes aside, it was really humbling because I feel you and I are both pretty comp competent and confident in communication. And then you have this technology thing. And what I was saying was truly, and it's irrational. I would rather like you tap me on the shoulder and say, Steve, I can't speak at this event. Go speak. I don't know the topic. It's like the actor's nightmare. That's what they call that. When you go on stage, you have no idea what you're doing. And I would rather do that in front of 2,000 people than set technology up for like a podcast or a Zoom because it's really humbling. So yeah, the answer is humble yourself and realize that this is the first time I think in, in generations that the younger people to some degree may be carrying more knowledge, more information than us elders. That doesn't mean they, they they have the wisdom. And I don't mean that in a patronizing way, but there's more knowledge and information with younger people or people that have been brought up in this technology, you know, generation. So yeah, it's been, it was wild. And then we had to teach virtually. And I think the first month of that experience, it was me just like calling uh, my staff going, I, I'm, I'm clueless. Help me, help me. I'm clueless. And it was really, it was really humbling. So it's interesting. My last podcast guest has done interviews on shows and TV, all, all that. Uh, and she was doing some of the Harvard Business Review and there was mm -hmm. a video. So as I was prepping for that conversation, she was doing the interview and I was listening to it and text messages kept coming into her computer and beeping. And she couldn't turn the, uh, well, she wasn't able to turn the thing off. Yeah. So yeah. do not disturb if you have a Mac is one of the best gifts in the history of earth, either on your phone, but a lot of people don't know you can do it on your computer. So yeah. I have do not disturb on my computer, so I don't get the text messages flying in and beeping. You wouldn't believe how many people I have on the podcast who, before we even get started, I'll say, hey, do you know how to use do not disturb? And they don't. And yeah. this this was Amy Edmondson, so Harvard professor, you know, oh, she's best selling author. Yeah. She did that. She did an online course, right? That, she's that done. She's Everyone she's, was. Right? Yeah. And Harvard Business Review is, like, yeah. I mean, it's not like my 
my little podcast here. It's like a big production. Yeah. And I'm watching it. And, and it makes me think about like grace and the power of kindness to tell someone. Cause I told oh. her, I was like, Hey, I was listening to your interview. It was great. And this, do you know how to turn, do not disturb on your computer? And she's way smarter than me. Obviously she's like, no, I have no idea. Yeah. And so I taught her and it was the one gift I could give to her for her time. And you wouldn't believe how many people don't know that that's a thing. The knowledge isn't there to your point. And it's an interesting piece that you bring up with knowledge and wisdom, because mm. um, as I get older, I value wisdom a yep. lot. And yet knowledge is also really, really important um, through your years. Where have you seen your wisdom potentially change? Oh my goodness. I think starting, and we talked about this just as friends, just being a father and a husband, big time. You know, I got married when I was 13. I, we got married 13 years ago. I apologize. Wow. Don't edit that out. I was bar mitzvah at 13. <laughs> well, you become a man they, in, in, in Judaism. They don't give you a wife, uh, but maybe that's that a was, future way. Maybe that's something that they could look into. Such a Freudian slip. Married 13 years ago at 40, I'm 53 now. I look back and think, wow, I don't know how I taught the curriculum I teach. I didn't teach it the same way. I taught it a way. I taught it the way I knew. So part of the wisdom, I think, was being a husband first and then being a father of two girls. They're 11 and nine now. That has helped uh, improve my listening skills. And I think the biggest thing for all of us, I don't care who it is listening, whether you're a teacher, a coach, a parent, a, a, an executive, a leader, you know, we are we practicing what we're sharing out into the world? Are we practicing that to the most important audience we have, which is which is our family and close, close friends? You know, are we practicing our stuff at home the same way we're sharing? It's easy to share. We joked about earlier, like being in front of 2000 people. That's not a major concern for you or I. I mean, there's always some nerves, but I, I feel comfortable in that space. But am I coming home and, and doing am I telling an audience? Don't say to people, uh, calm down. That's not a that's not a. a a useful term, but then I turn around two hours later and my children are being children. And I'm like, calm down. And I'm doing exactly what I didn't tell, uh, exactly what I told the audience not to do. So that'd be part of it. Just being a husband, being a father. I had this realization recently that yeah. I wake up in the morning. I'm not a morning guy. I'm pretty groggy in the morning. Mm -hmm. And uh, my wife has had to adjust to me not being a morning person when she is a morning person. Yeah. And I help get the kids off to school and, and you know, do, do some helpful things, hopefully around the house. Then I work. Uh, and my work, similar to your work, requires a presence and attention and energy to it. And then my day ends. And here are these kids again. Yeah. And yeah. It, it hit me that, especially with our relationships, our, our partner, our spouse. Mm hmm. By the time we get the kids to bed, yeah, I my wife gets like the worst of me. Yeah, the bookends. She gets the bookends. Gosh, and, it's good, Brian. And so do our kids to a certain extent. Yeah. But like, I think for me at least, I I shift my mind, so to speak, and just say like, all right, I am going to be a dad. I hope, and I try to do it more than not. And I need to be present for them. Go play with them. Go enjoy them. This you know, this time is fleeting. But then eight o'clock hits and that's 80, 30 and, and I'm exhausted. And I'm like, yeah. I just want to get in bed. And it it hit me. The weekends aren't that much better because there's activities and you're running around. Yeah. How do I make sure that I'm giving my best to the people that I care most about? Yeah. Well, and it goes back to, and we talked about this offline, like the, the, the beauty of practicality. And I want to go back because I love what you said, something so cool. 
that I don't want to bypass. You said grace earlier. You talked about with Amy and the do not disturb. And I want to make sense of this because actually I think what you were saying was so meaty. And I love that we started authentically with me having a problem with the mic and you miming to me. And, and I think it's not posted enough. I don't think we post as leaders and coaches and teachers. No one's like posting on the regular, like uh, uh, didn't give my best to my family, humbled and blessed. You know, no one's posting like had trouble with my Zoom mic and felt really embarrassed and shamed at 53, humbled and blessed. Like it's just not a hot post, right? It's not going to generate like business if you're in the leadership communication space. But and you felt it, you felt it because I could see it on your body. It was oh. frustration. I could see you're like, I've been here for an hour with this thing set up. Yeah. And now it's go time and now it's not clicking on. Right? Urgh, urgh, yeah. But here's the thing, and it goes kind of back to sort of how do we make sure we don't give our family and close friends and spouses and partners the bookends is, you know, it goes back to practicality. Like if we were to say, how did you help Amy? You'd call it do not disturb. Right. And I do that because I think we have to remember so many of the things that are really, really important, especially right now when our, our people's anxiety is up and, and their stress is, is, is the simplicity of the message. Like, do not disturb. What do you mean by that? We helped so-and-so, Amy or Steve, turn the do not disturb on. That's something that we can wrap our mind around. So to go to this idea of how do we make sure that we don't give our, our family and our close, close friends, the people that are the closest in our inner circle, the bookends, we have to be intentional, but it's more than that. It, you know, looking at a sign or a poster that says "Be intentional" with like a breaching whale, like that's not going to help improve my connection with my children. I'm not mocking that poster. I'm just saying those are reminders. So, like, I have to literally put together some what we call good to dos. So, like, one of my good to dos is I will call my wife if I'm heading home to get a temperature check on the home. So, I if I'm traveling or I'm coming back from an event, I'll check in. How are you? What's going on? What is our plan? How are how are Blake? How are Bailey? No different than the intention I put into knowing my audience when I'm out speaking in public. Like I, I realized I was putting more time and intention with my staff because we're really, really intentional, uh, partly selfish. Like we want to teach well, but we ask who's going to be in the room? Where are they coming from? Where are they going to? How many people are going to be there? Is there going to be a lavalier mic or a behind the ear mic? All of these things so we can put ourselves in a place to go from performer to presenter. But how often do we really do that when we come back to the most important audience? So that's what I've not doing. I've been trying to like check in and say, okay, how's Blake? How's Bailey? Jackie, how are you doing? Has the dog been fed? What's the plan for dinner? What do you need from me? So I'm walking into the room and I know what audience I'm walking into because we always say, know your audience, but we rarely put the most important audience first. And when we prepped for this conversation, you brought up this concept of performing versus presenting. And mm -hmm. I hear it there as well. Yeah. And it's got me wondering... I've had psychologists give me this this advice in the past. They're like, hey, as a psychologist, don't shrink your kids, right? Like, don't don't play psychologist, play dad. Or yeah. even remember Doc Rivers, who was a you know, legendary yeah. basketball player and then basketball coach. He said, like, I don't coach my kids at basketball. They want a dad. Uh, I'm there to be a fan and a dad. Like, they've got coaches. And so I'm wondering even, maybe we can use this performing versus presenting. Like, how do you show up for your family in an authentic, genuine way. And it's not just tool-based, right? It's right. not just, hey, this is what I do with my clients. Now I'm going to use it here. Because I think my my wife definitely can tell, and my kids as they get older will be like, hey, dad, I don't need coach. I need dad, right? They yeah. need something different, but they still need the skills, to your point, that I possess and that I share with people. They need me to leverage those skills, but still be a different role. And so I don't know if that 
fits with the performing presenting concept that you talk about. If it doesn't, um, feel free to answer it. And then maybe we can get into this concept of performing versus presenting. No, I think there's a little bit of a crossover. Absolutely. I'll start with sort of how do you take your, for me, it's like take the game on hat off, you know? Uh, and part of it, Brian, I think is for my children, they're 11 and nine now. So they're, they're old enough to at least understand. I want them to know what I do. I want them to know what dad does. So then they can see the shift, you know? So the more familiar they are with game on, they've watched sessions. We've done some videos together called small talk during the pandemic, just to keep things going. And we were just like limited, but it was fun. So the more they know about what I do, do teaching communication and teamwork using improvisation. Then when I do come home, and so they can sense that shift because they have an understanding of when I am doing game on, but it's not easy. And let's use your stuff to some degree. Some of the stuff you are sharing, you know, in terms of mindset is useful with your children. Like, that's the thing. It's not like you should completely put a line in the sand because some of, many of the concepts are universal truths. But I think for me, maybe I'll give a practical kind of do not disturb you know, concept. I'm going to use that as a metaphor now because it's like so practical um, is um, tone is key. I think that's the big one for me. And we use that in a takeaway. Tone is key. So when I'm sharing and listening and just being father and husband, uh, it's not that I change all my concepts. I mean, many of the concepts we share should be applicable to your children or else there's something problematic about those concepts, right? Things like laugh with not add is a concept we teach in game on. I'm not going to like remove it from my family um, but instead I embrace it. And so one is with our family, we kind of have a mission statement that we've created together. I think that's kind of fun. And the way in which I talk to my children, my tone is different. Um, you know, they're not staff, not that I'm screaming and yelling when I'm a leader, but when I'm presenting, I'm sharing information and I'm in a, in an agreement with the audience that I've been hired to. And then there's that stage and there's that whole dynamic that we can get into performing versus presenting with this idea of the fourth wall. But when I'm at home, no. I'm not standing. So a lot of it is my physical presence with my children, where I stand when I'm sharing with them, how we find a place where we can all sit and be be in equity in the conversation. So that, that my answer would be the tone is the most important thing that I am aware of when I'm talking to my children. When I think of tone, there's that old research that I think has not been validated, but it's helpful mm. to hear, which is body language is 55% of all communication. Tone is 37. And what you actually yeah. say is eight Right. Um, whether that research is accurate or not, I, I it think, makes sense. But, but yeah, the logic behind it. And, and so body language, how do you how do you talk about body language when it comes to communication? Uh, obviously, you're highlighting tone. I think a lot of times we're so focused on what we actually say that we forget about maybe the tone and yeah. the body language. How do you all uh, talk about body language and, and taking up space that way? Good. So one is. We have a space in our home, which is kind of our family meeting room. And we know kind of where everyone wants to be. You know, I have like a little, my little brown chair and Jackie's got her chair. So like, we kind of know, hey, and, and listen, let me just be real clear. It's not like the Shenbaum family is running epically. Like, like, let's just be, let's, if we're talking about authenticity, which what I love about one of, one of the many of the themes you talk about, Brian, like, I don't want any listener to be like, oh my gosh, these guys have mastered the art of husbandry and parent, like save it. Like. Complete. You can ask our wives and they will yeah, tell 100%, you. 100%. But I, I, it's so important to say that before we keep going because, or else we just listen to like how wonderful everyone is. And then everyone leaves, especially during the holidays or whatever. And they're like, oh my gosh, I'm not mastering this. None of us are mastering it. You know, we're in the process together. Part of it is, it is, is a space we have where we, everyone can sit in their comfortable spots. We can have a good conversation. Um, I also know my children's learning styles. 
So like, that's key. I know we're kind of kind of diving into this sort of family thing, but I don't mind this at all. So like my daughter, Blake and Bailey, they, they listen and learn a little differently. One of them's 11, one of them's nine, almost 12. So you got 12 and nine, that's different learning style. So also just being aware of your audience. It goes back to how we pre prepare for presentation and public speaking. Why can't we use those same concepts? If I know that the audience that I'm speaking to in a corporate event is like half international, I'm not going to use a Yankees metaphor because half the audience doesn't really follow American baseball. So like those basic concepts, why can't we use them in the home? So I know that if I give too many metaphors, my daughter Bailey's going to just tune out because she doesn't really track metaphors. Partly she's nine. It's just not her style. So space in the room and where we all sit and gather, I try not to turn on distractions, turn off Alexa because my 12-year-old will literally say Alexa just to trigger that machine and then triggers her father. But things like that, tone, space, and knowing people's learning styles. And I think my last one is for especially this audience, don't make them like hour and a half meetings. Like sit down, put a timer on. Kids love timers. Put a, put some game dynamics in play, like time, space, let everyone talk. You can have a prop. Maybe we used to hand uh, pass around uh, this stuffed animal. And whenever whoever had stuffed animal was like the one presenting. Little basic things like that. They're called game dynamics that can help them stay engaged. Because if not, the uh, the iPhone game dynamics will capture them in a heartbeat and the meeting's over. We'll come back to game dynamics, but I want to get into <laughs> I want to get into audience for a minute. Yeah. So yeah. <clears throat> when people ask me who's the audience that's listening to this podcast, I don't know. Wow. And when I was writing my book, that was the question that I got asked multiple times: Who's mm -hmm. this book for? Who's the right. audience? And I heard a lot of really smart marketers say, "If it's for everyone, it's for no one." And mm -hmm. they sort of said, "You need to know who your audience is." And I said, I genuinely don't know. It's not that I'm anti-targeting this person or that person or this type of audience. I just don't know. And as we're talking, it's hitting me. We're both pretty fast talkers. Like mm. we could probably do this podcast without any notes and just go back and forth and have a conversation. Our prep call could have been its own podcast. Yeah. That's not always the case when I have people on this show. And it's hitting me that our energy our intensity, our speed might not be for everybody. And, mm. you know, 15, 20 minutes in or whatever we are, people might be like, whoa, 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 slow down, dudes. Like, uh, chill a little bit for me. Let me digest some of what you're saying. You're you're both going fast. Uh, and, and so I'm curious for you, as you think about the audiences you're speaking to, does it ever change the speed with which you're delivering information yeah. and your energy and your enthusiasm? Because I think sometimes I can bring something into a room that's authentic to me and I'm excited to be there and they actually need something else. And I, I think having multiple pitches, if we use a baseball analogy, it's like, sometimes I need the fastball, but sometimes I just need a, a changeup or sometimes I need a relief pitcher, or sometimes I need to go into a different, um, a different pitch. Yeah. And so how do you think about that when it comes to your audience and specifically around this idea of maybe slowing down or lowering the temperature or not using humor? Like, when do you use what in yeah depending on what the audience is, is asking for. And I want to acknowledge, we did not set this up, but you've walked me into one of our first exercise concepts we created for this exact reason, Brian. Like even the fact that you brought this up, I'm more cognizant of the speed. But before I kind of give the concept, um, 
This is really important to discuss. I actually think you have wild humility to share what you just shared. And I agree with you. We are not for everyone and anyone listening, whoever it is, uh, I, I believe everyone's a presenter. So I'll say everyone, that person listening, you are a presenter. You're presenting at a, a volunteering for your girls softball team or uh, walking in the supermarket or being a TED, TED speaker, TEDx speaker. Everyone's presenting something. And as long as we think of that authentically, but with that, you know, I think of it like music, like not every song or every band people love it doesn't mean it's bad music. So I have a very specific style. My team of consultants have a very specific style. But one thing we've done to sort of mitigate it is we have a concept called dimmer switch. And I want to share this with the world. It's one of the first exercises I created. And it was when I was an actor, Brian, when I was told as an actor in auditions, hey, you got to chill out. And in the history of chilling out, I don't think anyone chills out in a stressful environment when they're yelled at to chill out. So that just to clear. So we called it 853. It doesn't equate perfectly symmetrically. It should be 753. But between one and 10 on a scale, we tell people, you know, eight is big, energetic, and kind of where we were sort of at the beginning of the podcast, especially when we started rolling in to stuff that we both enjoy. That's an eight. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a sound. Then on the flip side would be a three. And I'll actually shift to, and three is more calm, observe, listen. And then five is sort of right in that middle. And we actually do an improv scene when we're in live, where we have someone up on stage with us. We have imaginary line and we set up the improv rules, laugh with, not at, have each other's back, celebrate small wins. Those are our three foundationals. Have each other's back, celebrate small wins and laugh with, not at. And then we actually do a scene where the person starts on a three, I start on the eight. I'm more big energy. That person's more calm, observe, listen. And then we do some switches. I may join he or she on the three. And then we're both threes together. But the idea is to show the audience that all speeds are very valuable. It's just a matter of knowing and having discernment as to which speed you want to bring into the situation. And it's called dimmer switch. Another term for the exercise is called 853. And that's how we approach that exact uh, question you asked. How do we manage our energy, our tone, our volume, and our presence? I was watching Hard Knocks in Season, which is an yep. HBO football special, and they started last night. And mm. Mike McDaniel, their head coach, is fascinating as a communicator. He yeah. uses humor. He's genuine. He is a clear communicator. He's descriptive. And I see him as an eight five, three guy. Like I yeah. can hear him in one-on-ones yeah. being chill and calm. And then I can hear him, you know, using F-bombs and energizing yeah. the crowd. And they actually had another coach who was just all eight, eight. <laughs> he was all, you yeah. know, maybe a 10, whatever it is. And it got me thinking when, as you're talking, the best leaders that I've been around have range and that they you, can go ahead. I'll yeah, just, they, just jump in real quickly. And thank yeah. you. the whole takeaway to this exercise is change speeds. That's it. Like, that, keep going. I didn't want to interrupt you. I just had to jump in. Like, change speeds. You're, you're, you're right on it. And, and then the question underneath that that I was going to ask is, how do we make sure that we're still being genuine? Yes. As we're changing speeds, because yeah. I see some people do this in their yeah. speeches yeah. where they're slowing down so slow, and <laughs> it's not them. And you can tell it's not them. And yeah, someone has told them to slow down. So now they are just so slow and they're lacking any conviction or passion or authenticity. Yeah. And so I'm curious about that. How do we, if we know that maybe we over-index on eight or maybe we over-index on three and we want to develop these other speeds, 
How do we do that while still having our soul be part of the communication? It's so good. And I would earmark, you could do a whole run, Brian, for a year on just authenticity and that term and what it means. I think it's just so popular right now and it's tricky, but I don't think there's a perfect answer. I think it starts with the fact that I can frame it under the context of the game dimmer switch. We 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 definitely don't call it uh, one five ten. So first and foremost, we have to make sure we don't go to extremes. We as humans, you you use the term index. I love that. We as humans kind of default to the other side. Like let's say people are like Steve, you're so big, which I get a lot. I used to get way more when I was a little younger and just less self-aware, but you're so big. And so our natural tendency is to double down on that bigness or revert to the complete opposite, which is like then just be a wallflower. And neither are very productive because like you said, you're losing authenticity. How do we stay authentic? I think part of it is we have to constantly realize that every interaction we have is an opportunity to naturally develop these muscles. And I don't mean walk around and be a, give everyone your TEDx talk, okay? I want to be really clear. But in communication, what I love about this industry is you don't need to get your gym clothes on. You don't need to go to a facility and have the right equipment, right? If, if you want to work out, you have to put some intention in. I mean, you could work out at home, you, but still you have to be in the right um, clothes, the right mindset. It's hard to be in a suit at the airport and get your workout in, right? But in communication, like I encourage my my audiences to to when you go out to d dinner with friends, like use that as an opportunity to listen and hear how people share the space. When when you're out uh, on a travel trip, if you have the opportunity and the privilege to do that, like use that opportunity to watch cultures and watch how people respect one another in different ways. Seek kindness, look for respect, look for um, folks that honor others. And it's, your, it's almost like you start to think about your interactions as a constant, healthy, authentic workout to build these muscles. I use sports analogies a lot and I'm realizing that as we talked about the audience and look, we've had a lot of sports people on this podcast. So I think most of the people that are listening, if they're still listening to this podcast after seven years or whatever it's been, yeah. then hopefully they're okay with these analogies. I think of it as if I'm playing basketball and I'm really great with my right hand. Right. If I just go with my right hand, eventually the defense is going to slide over and they're yep. going to take a charge because they know yep. I'm going to my right hand. And yeah. so maybe I just need to cross over to my left for one dribble and then yes. i can go back to my right okay and the ability to experiment with that is crucial and i need to practice it but then i need to be able to do it in a game and actually go for it and Dude, see if that move works you're so good i mean this you you we did not prep this at all we talk about i mean it right well you've done the work and we, i want to talk about that too part of it's just you have to do the work and i want to maybe get back to mike mcdaniels too because i i'm a big fan of his i've just watched his stuff i flew back from la recent just yesterday and i watched uh, a quick 10 minute video on him, but, but for him real quick, and then I'll get back to this point. He's done the work. He's worked really hard. He's acknowledged his failures because we're all, we all have flaws and he's gone to the depths of that sort of realization of like, I got to change my ways, you know, and he's been very vulnerable and open about that. And so no different than someone you see in really good shape. They didn't just wake up in their mid fifties and be in really good shape. They put the work in, in the early hours in, which is something. You know, but but this idea of your metaphor of basketball, I love that. And I'll just try to drive this home really briefly. When we have someone who say is a is a big energy and they're on stage, I don't want to say to that person, chill out. I hated that phrase. I didn't like that because it minimizes one of my giftings. 
But what I'll tell people is, hey, if your index default is to go to the eight, you just need a touch of the three. That's it. And you just said that. You don't need to become a three and all of a sudden change your entire you know, core essence. It's just kind of touch there like a painting, like your, your core painting is eight. It's beautiful. Maybe just a touch of a secondary color. Your primary colors are gorgeous. Just a touch of your secondary color. And we try to explain it that way. Go to the three, maybe for a moment or two. And don't feel like you have to live there on stage if it's not your natural uh, tendency. But by just going down and like even when you and I, when we just breathe a little bit and lean it back for a moment, I'm not trying to play a character, but I'm giving the conversation a little breath. It doesn't mean I'm going to be stuck at three for the rest of my life. Do you find that your consultants, the people that you work with are similar or different from you on that scale? Different. Yeah, that's the neat thing. You know, people ask, like, how do we bring on game on instructors? And there's some common denominator. I want good human beings. You know, we we don't have a specific universal like view of faith. We don't have a specific we were all over the map in a really fun way. No one would be able to figure us out. You know, you've got folks that are very liberal, folks that are very conservative, folks that are very strong in their faith, folks that are not strong in their faith. Uh, it doesn't matter, but there needs to be good hearted people. But um, yeah, I don't just look for high. I mean, people need to feel comfortable in front of audiences, but we have some really, I, I default more to like the seven, eight, naturally. I think we have some constructors that default to the three. Uh, the thing that we all do have in common though, um, is what I drive home is we try our best to always have a sense of common sense, critical thinking, and emotional control. Not perfectly, but common sense, critical thinking, and emotional control when you're teaching improv, because when you're doing this level of engagement, I'm not saying it's better than any president. It's just different, you know, um, and you're interacting and breaking the fourth wall. There needs to be a sense of emotional control in case things go south or a joke gets inappropriate to be able to manage that. There needs to be critical thinking so we don't get polarizing. And there needs to be a sense of um, of common sense so you can make decisions. Those are the three things. But energy-wise, we have a lot of threes on the team and we have some eights on the team. How do you assess for those three things? <laughs> we do a personality. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I could just sense it, Brian. No, not at all. Um, you have like most of the people that work in game on, I've worked with for years and I've built relationships with them. And I think part of it is you don't just, um, there's this, there's this model that a dear friend of mine, Kyle Stark shares. And it's really beautiful. I'll try to answer it this way. He talks about you got to define your culture first. And then the second part is you got to select wonderful people to that culture. You know, you have to know your culture first. Like, what do you stand for? Who are you? Then you need to select that culture. And then that third part, I call it uh, the, the six o'clock on the clock. So 12 is culture. Three is select the culture, select the talent. Uh, six is develop. And that's where we sit, Brian, for a long time. Because, and then the last part is is to deploy, you know, let the person go out and do their thing. And if you don't develop enough, you can send someone off too early. So part of the training for Game On is we give them space and time to really learn the curriculum and get it on its feet. And uh, we, we, we get to watch them teach and give a lot of time, not too much time, but enough time so I can sense, is this person comfortable in this curriculum? And uh, we can assess. And sometimes there's a few times, not a lot, where you'll say, it's just not the right fit. You know, it doesn't mean the person's a bad person or they're not a good presenter. It just may not be a right fit. That's one of the ways we kind of assess the for those three. Yeah, because of those three, if I think about myself yeah, and others I've been around, I'm not sure how to cultivate or develop common sense. Um, and I think that one is, it, it's just, 
I, I don't know where people get it from, but critical thinking and emotional control, I do think um, you can work with people to be more creative and problem solve. And I think you yeah. can work with people on cultivating better emotional management or control or whatever you want to say. Um, am I, how do you think about those? Yeah. And I'd say of the three, and I, we did this a little bit on our pre-call. We didn't go this route, but talked about these sort of three concepts, which ones do we have? So I'm not mastered all three. I think for me, the one, the mo I took a deep, deep breath here. The emotional control one is something I'm still working on, which is really hard to acknowledge. I do. I get very passionate, uh, very, very, and then I, I self remind myself, and my wife does too. Don't, don't turn everything into like a, a hot take uh, or your TED talk, you know. And I've gotten way better, but I can still uh, work on it. Here's my answer, and it goes back to what you said at the beginning with Amy and like, do not disturb. That, uh, you know, help someone with grace, but the do not disturb message, Brian, is not that hot. It's not going to lie. I don't think it could be a book. I mean, you could kind of write a book or maybe a blog about it. The answer to getting those three common sense, critical thinking, emotional control, I believe starts with, and I know this is going to sound so simple. My team and I am constantly focusing on them to rest well, to do a little bit of physical movement and to try to consume well, not just eat well, but what books are they reading? What music? And I don't dictate the things that people consume, but I will tell you and it's really hard to share this right now because as public speakers, it's this is not where the audience gives you a standing ovation. <laughs> like, you're not going to have people leave your presentation going, wow, that guy, Steve, he was totally spitting fire when he talked about trying to get eight hours of sleep. It's just, but that's truly, I truly, I mean, I, they've studied it and my nutrition friends say it and it's hard to share because you want to share something that's vital and like wild and kind of s s shared in a way that no other public speaker has ever conveyed it. And, and, and it's like, eh, I've gotten old enough to like put my ego aside and be like, there's really nothing new under the sun. But I find for me, my common sense is more in tune. My emotional control is more neutral. And my critical thinking ability is there when I um, feel grounded, when I've gotten pretty good sleep, when I've maybe getting a workout in to my ability and when I've uh, eaten pretty well. You mentioned the crowd went wild. Yeah, you mentioned crowd going wild, standing yeah. ovations, right? Yeah. You get this immediate response in your work where you know, yeah. and oh. I've done, you You do a, a lot more speaking than I do, but I've done enough to know. I'm like, oh yeah, it's happening. Totally. Uh, and I actually know when it's not happening as well. And I can feel it and I can kind of tell. And when I say happening, I don't know if this makes sense, but I always thought, look, when I go into a room, a third of the room is going to be bought in because that's the way they're wired and they're just learners and they want to learn and they're excited and they're passionate. Another third would rather be working right now and rather be doing something else. Uh, and this is when I'm going to a corporate environment or a sports team. And then the middle third is who I'm trying to win over. And I'm yeah. trying to get that middle third. And it's interesting. I have gotten feedback when I've presented that is really negative. And yeah. I remember one in one, I thought I did a great job and I get the feedback notes back and it's great, 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 great. And then there's one person who says, I'm sure the content's good, but he kept saying like over and over and over again. Goodness. It was so distracting that I tuned him out the rest of the time. Man, oh man. Crushing. Crushing, but so valuable. Totally. So valuable. And and there was another one where I used a word and the person was offended by that word. And to your point mm. about knowing your audience, okay, mm. I'm glad I now know that that yes. word was yes. offensive, but it crushed me in the moment. Oh, Brian. And so you do so much speaking, your team does so much speaking. I'm curious, how do you have the humility to listen to that type of feedback, but not let it knock your confidence? Yeah. 
in your so ability good. to go do the job? How do you play with, with both confidence? Because I think it takes great confidence to actually be humble. It's yeah. the confidence to say, I believe in myself and I believe I'm imperfect and there's an opportunity to get better. That takes confidence to yeah. actually be humble. And so how do you do it for yourself and how does your team take the feedback and still move the bus forward and keep going and believe in what you're doing at game on? Yeah. We only read the positive feedback. That's the way to do it. So good. So I said, you should do a run on authenticity. You should do a whole nother run, Brian, on feedback. Um, it's so valuable and corporations are needing it. I love how humble you are to acknowledge and we all should. Yeah. You're going to get people that just didn't get it and, or had a feedback they want to give. So we do a lot of surveys, uh, with corporations. They'll do them. We'll, they'll share them with us and they're very difficult and I'll be very open with you. No one, no one in the, in their right mind is like, I cannot wait to get negative feedback. It, truly. We're not wired that way. But what we have to remember is kind of what you said, you know, there's different pockets of people and you cannot take someone uh, feedback um, as a personal attack. So one thing that we try to do is when we're sharing game on, this is really tricky. And this kind of goes into a whole nother conversation, but this is truly my answer. This is not my identity. I run this company. It's, I'm the president of this company. It's been so hard for me. This is not who I am. I am an instructor who happens to be, I'm the president of game. I'm not even the CEO of game on. I'm, I'm not wired to be a CEO at all, at all, but this is not my identity. When someone says, and I've gotten it too, Brian, I got a recent feedback. Someone said exactly what you just said early in our, in our talk. It was, Steve was talking just so fast and it didn't really resonate and make sense to, and apply to what I'm doing uh, as a profession. Ouch. So basically the person was saying, I talk too fast and it didn't really connect back. There was no tie back to that person's, which by the way, we focus on a lot to make it make sense. I have to receive that feedback as someone who is uh, sharing in good faith where they were at, not a personal attack on Steve Shenbaum. And that's really, really hard because who else is up there? It's me. And then if it's not me, it's one of my consultants. But the first thing I do is separate myself from the identity of game on. It is not my identity. And when you do that, it's still hard to hear it, but you do not take it as like a core attack on who you are as a human being. Because I also know if I'd rather get that sting of being told that than the, the alternative and ready for the alternative, you keep making the same mistake and no one has the heart to tell you. Just so think about that listeners, everyone. Imagine if you talk too fast, you don't make it make sense and it just continues to happen for 10 years and no one has the heart to break it to you and you don't have the courage to hear it. You uh, are heading towards a really dangerous road. If I was just being nice and agreeable with Amy, I wouldn't have said anything. 100%. But you said something really important and this is about feedback. You're cooking, dude. You've got, This is how we share feedback with my team and then outside. We say, say what you saw and say it with grace. That's it. Say what you saw. So if you didn't see it, don't say it. Because we give feedback. That's the thing. We get feedback, but we give feedback in game on. I'll do improv games and then I'll say, hey, Brian, I want to share with you. You have a really nice ability to listen and your mind is tracking with eight different signals and you're well-read. You know, I'll share that. I'm not going to dive in and do some psychoanalysis on someone and I'm not a prophet, but I can see things when I improv with people. So we're constantly giving feedback. So we also have to be open to receiving it, but that's our, 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 our foundation for feedback. Say what you saw. If you didn't see it, don't say it. And if it's not graceful, save it. So think about Amy. I mean, I just love that too, because you're starting this conversation with just a renowned instructor on kindness and respect the irony, right? 
And it was like, hey, Amy, nowhere. And your tone had to change, right? And you had to make a common sense decision. Like, is this the right time? Or do I hold? Do I stop and and, and hold the recording and, and tell her offline, right? And, and you went down the checklist, critical thinking, emotional control. Imagine if you weren't controlled and you said it quickly, like, Amy, we, we got to start. Like, just, duh, I can't believe you don't know how to turn this do not disturb on. Like, how do you not know that? Like, ooh. And so say what you saw and say it with, with grace. That's our that's our motto with feedback. And then it, what it does is when you do get the feedback, it sounds a lot more palatable. And you start to realize when you go through that checklist, you save some feedback. You do like, you're like eh, it's not the right time. Not the right, not the right time to share it. Yeah. I love that piece too. You still have ownership also if you yeah. want to receive it or not. And it doesn't mean you have to take the feedback. Some feedback sucks. and you 100%. Some, yeah. Someone says, hey, I want to give you feedback. I'm thinking, do I know you? What's our relationship? You, you, you go back to your presentation. Like, yeah, the person that said to you, you know, I, I, I didn't like the likes, that's, that's genuine. Now, there was a whole room full of people, Brian, that didn't have an issue with the likes. So that's the other thing. We have to make sure that we don't chase what I call the statistical anomaly. Listen to it, receive it, but don't chase the, st uh, the, 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 the statistical anomaly. The statistical anomaly was that you said like a lot. Let's be honest. It doesn't mean you didn't say it. It meant there was very few people that messaged it as a problem. There was many people that were like, enjoy this guy a lot. And we have to be careful that we don't receive the negative because we always go to the negative. You see 30 things that people love about you and there's 31st is Steve's annoying. I am not going home going, Jackie, my wife, 30 people liked me. That's not what we do. I'm like, right to like, I cannot believe that 31st person I annoyed. What could I do to change who I am to change that person's mind? When there was 30 people that liked me, not liked, I don't even like that term, but resonated with my sound. And there's one person or maybe three that were like, just annoying, you know? I think other people that are listening to this that might be in the eight or seven category, like myself and Steve on passion and excitement and energy, for me, that's how I've lived most of my life. At least that's how I've thought of myself. And I've also thought of myself for most of my life as not being great at receiving feedback. And mm. I'm wondering if there's some correlation there because mm. I get so passionate and excited and uh, people would say that I was confident or I was fearless or I was willing to speak up and I was willing to put my, you know, I was willing to put myself first and go forward and raise my hand and all that good stuff. I wonder if there's a correlation there. And I'm, I've never thought about this until now mm. because I also remember writing a speech when I was 14 years old and giving it to my dad and he redlined the whole thing. And I remember after that, I and I love my dad dearly, amazing human, great person, role model, et cetera. I have, have had him on the podcast. People are familiar. I vouch. But, but like, I think there was a piece of me after that. I was like, I don't want to get feedback anymore. And I would turn in my papers into my English class and I wouldn't even edit them. I wouldn't even give myself feedback on yeah. the thing. And guess you're what? almost like sabotaging it early because you're like, like, I don't even want to deal with the red I don't line. Want to deal with it. Give me yeah. a C. And guess what? That doesn't work well in school. Any kids that are <laughs> listening, I don't recommend that process. And it took a lot of years. And I actually remember a specific watershed moment where I got feedback that I didn't get accepted to something. And everyone around me was like, they're lost, they're lost, they're lost. And I was like, wait a second. It's not their loss. They don't care about that. They're going to keep going on and on and on. Let me go find out why. Let me go find out why I wow. didn't get Wow. And the curiosity, uh, if you lean into feedback with curiosity, I feel like it's a superpower. And I can be curious with amazing passion. I can be an aid on passion with my curiosity. Yeah. And 
that has been a game changer for me is that I can still be passionate, but I can wonder and I can explore. And if I take that approach now, all of a sudden you used gaming earlier. It's like a game for me. All right, let me see what else. What are you've gamified? You've gamified the process of seeking feedback by leaning into one of your strengths. You said it perfectly, Brian. We talk a lot about the power of discovery and curiosity, which is a game dynamic. Mystery is what we call it. We have a mystery, incentive, laughter, and empowerment. It's acronym MILE, but you're talking about mystery. So folks listening, if you're naturally predisposed to be at that eight level and that eight pull, pulls you away from feedback, Brian, what you just said is fantastic, which is use that inertia, use that default to actually have you lean into feedback. And it's easier said than done. Let's be honest. It's not like you're going to walk up to a stranger and be like, tell me what you think of me. But um, the idea that if you're passionate, you and I both are, and then we can use discovery and curiosity, which we both are, we can end up actually getting some valuable feedback. I'll add something to it. Um, I would also say, if we want to get back to the do not disturb practicality of it all, uh, you don't have to wait uh, for an audience of 500. Not everyone's in that position. You know, I keep speaking and Brian and I both keep speaking from the lens of our life experience. You know, many of of my colleagues and friends are not speaking in front of 500. Another way to do it is just to surround yourself with a good advisory team. And I don't mean it has to be some official like board of directors. I don't have a board of directors at Game On. Many people are like, why don't you do that? But I have a crew of diverse thinking uh, men and women that are a close group that are not my wife, but she's a part of like the conversations where they can sit with me and say, hey, Steve, let's just be real with you. How are you handling this situation? And that's been invaluable. So I don't have to wait for a random person who I've never met who says he talks too fast, you know, which is valid feedback. But let's be honest. Sometimes the most important feedback are people that have earned the right, that know you well, uh, to actually speak true life into you. That's that's huge. So that's been my answer is see if you can have four or five friends that are kind of accountability partners for you that come from different thought processes who can say, and I'll give one last, but just simply a coach of mine years ago had that moment where you said like, it's your loss. You're, that was so right. Like the school's not like we lost Levinson, you know, we're done. We're, sh we're, we're wrapping up. This university is no, or whatever it was, this university is no longer. And you're, you're shaking your head. Yeah, they didn't do that, right? They moved on. Yeah. But, and when I got the feedback, I found out, oh, they only accept 25% and they welcome they, you to reapply. And yeah. uh, and then I did a deep dive into my essay and 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 asked people that were, you know, involved in the university, hey, what are they looking for? And and why am why do I really want to go to this school? And nice. the way I came into that program after being rejected and the humility and the openness to learning as opposed to coming in beating my chest Defiant. and saying how great I am yeah. was massive for my my learning and there's one other thing I want to capture which is you have the ownership whether you want to interpret the feedback for yourself or not and like I think Brene Brown does a good job of saying this like I want to get feedback from people that are in the arena right I want to get feedback from people that have yeah. been where I've been that right. feedback is really valuable as an author she doesn't want to just get feedback from people who've never written a book because yeah. they haven't gone through it. But the people that have, she's going to really take that in. And then you said one other thing that I'm going to highlight around feedback is that we're not wired to want it, uh, especially mm -hmm. the negative stuff. And so I've always said there's no such thing as constructive criticism, because I think when you say constructive criticism, it automatically, who wants to be criticized? No. It's not constructive, but feedback, it's your option, whether you take the good, the bad, the ugly. And there's nothing wrong with that time saying, you know what, that feedback sucks. 
Uh, and that person is in a different perspective or maybe they're in a different headspace and I'm going to, I'm going to go forward. I want to make sure we hit on this performing versus presenting concept, because when you said it on our pre-call, I wrote it down and I was like, wow, that's an interesting distinction that I hadn't heard of before. And then you brought it up in the beginning of this conversation. So it's a, it's a distinction that matters to you and I don't have clarity on it. So I want to lean into that and lean into my curiosity on it. Uh, give me the distinction and, and why does it matter? Yeah. As a former actor, you know, I have a, a disposition to perform. That's what you do. You know, as an actor, you're hired and uh, seeking to pr- entertain, to perform. There's nothing wrong with it, by the way, but there's an agreement. And now I've been for 27 years in the public speaking presentation space, both as a presenter, public speaker, but also helping teach others to present and, and public speak with authenticity, with creative creativity, clarity, and uh, confidence. And I've just found, and I've journeyed it myself, we just as a collective need to be careful that when we're on stage, whether it's a group of 10 uh, for a staff meeting or a group of 500, let's just use that range, uh, we have to let, let, we have to acknowledge that there is dopamine and serotonin, literally scientific chemicals that are going through it. People say, oh, there's a, a high of being on stage. No, it's even more specific than that. There's absolute dopamine, serotonin rushing through you. And that you have to be careful that that doesn't take you over and it becomes your driving force. Because if that's the case, I've found with presenters, you start to put too much pressure on yourself. So let me give an example of sort of the danger we're heading towards, whether it's in the temple, the church, the um, the public speaking arena. I see it in all presenters. I, I talk to pastors about this. I talk to rabbis about this. And I talk to public speakers about this. The, the danger of burnout, when you start to put the pressure on yourself to bring it. I want to say these terms because I hear them all the time in the public speaking space. And this goes to sort of this, this, um, this fueling of the performer. Um, and again, we're not talking about entertainment now. We're not talking about someone who's doing stand-up comedy or a hypnotist or a magician. Those are those. Are, that's a clear understanding. There's performance, but as presenters, and we say to them, I hear it a lot. And Brian, maybe would ask you if you've heard it, like things like, "Dude, you went out, you killed it. Bring it, man. That speaker was spitting fire. Like that. That you were on point, man. You were sharing so many solid nuggets. Like those phrases." No actor in Broadway would say to their fellow actor before they took the stage on Broadway, because I've been in that space, no one in their right mind goes, hey, bring it, man, spit fire for this show. You don't speak like that. The idea is share a beautiful story and do your best to connect to the audience. So my overall note on that is we have to be aware that when you're on stage, there is that high and there's nothing wrong with that. But we have to protect ourselves and make sure, I think, that there's a nice combination of empathy and authority on stage so you can move from just performing. If you're hired to actually public speak and share information, make sure you're also adding an element of presentation, which then leads you to practicality, which leads you to substance. Well, I've had actors on here. Yeah. And they talk about being it being a team sport. Mm-hmm. And that struck me as someone who last acted when he was probably in sixth grade. And mm-hmm. honestly, if I look back, I don't have, a, you know, I actually have a lot of regrets, but um, <laughs> that would be one. I was so obsessed mm-hmm. with sports that I didn't tap into theater. And in my area, theater was, it wasn't, it was plenty of cool kids and and beautiful girls in theater. Uh, and so it was actually a big thing at my high school. And I never 
tapped into it in middle school. I, I did more theater and I love the interaction and I love that experience. Yeah. But it struck me when the actors that have come on here, they will say it's a team experience. Totally. Because as an outsider and someone who doesn't do that, I would have thought, no, like you've got your Denzel Washington and he's the superstar and he's doing it. But I didn't realize whether it's on Broadway or on film or TV, they are playing with people. They're yeah. not, you know, if one person is just focused on them, they're not connecting with the other actor and yeah. it's not an experience. And so I'm, but I've never thought about that when it comes to a, a speaking engagement. Yeah. And and what I'm hearing you say is, hey, your job is to share with the audience. 100%. Uh, not to lecture them. And we've all That's been it. in an audience where someone's lecturing us and it doesn't land with us, but you could bring them on stage. You could put your arm around them. Someone could do something and you welcome them into the room if they come in late. And that yes. stuff sounds more like facilitation in the That's way it. that I've learned. So yeah, you think of yourself more as a facilitator than a speaker? Yes. Brian, I mean, you answered it for me in, in a beautiful way. And I think everyone should think this way. You're presenting with the audience. We 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 are over-informed. We are over-informed. I mean, this industry is wild. There's so many people with so much information. And if you don't want to go to the conference, you can just go on YouTube and hear some of the finest presenters in the world. I mean, you mentioned Amy and there's just so Simon Sinek and there's just all these wonderful sounds, Brene Brown. There's all these amazing sounds. Information is not what we're lacking. So yeah, uh, we break it actually into four quadrants, but we, we in terms of communication style, we talk about there's the motivator, there's the entertainer, there's the challenger, and there's the facilitator. So I'll try to lean it back on a three on this one. Motivator, and I think we should have all four in us. There's a motivator. I think you and I both could do that pretty well. There's a real, you know, but but motivator alone, I think lack, lacks uh, substance. It, it can be a, a big hype speech, but there's no groundedness. Then there's the entertainer, which people that are really good with stories and stories are great and really good with jokes and just can move an audience. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if it's only entertainer, then you might as well have brought your corporation to a stand-up comedy show because that or improv, like Second City or one of those fun shows. Then there's the facilitator. Actually, I'll end on facilitator. There's the challenger. That's the one I've been working on because that's the instructor who really asks hard questions and, and gets the audience to kind of grow maybe outside their comfort zone a little bit. And then there's the facilitator. I believe all four need to be in play to some shape or form. But I think each presenter needs to kind of identify where do they naturally index? Where do I, I stole that from you? Where do they naturally default? And then figure out areas that could improve. So I'm really working on Challenger. But to answer your question, I think at the, the, the connector to all four of those really is facilitator. We If we think that way, then we're not going to get on stage. And I only say this because I've done it, Brian. Like I'm a former like recovering narcissist, if you will. And as an actor, you almost have to be. Like your whole focus is know yourself and make yourself known. Like that's the motto. I'm not apologizing for it. As an actor, you got to know yourself and then you got to promote yourself, you know? But that's not the jam uh, in the public speaking space. If you're hired to help improve an audience, a company's in teamwork, communication, culture, like you're not there to just entertain and so I think we need to humble ourselves as presenters and make sure that we're not just going in and high kicking and making sure it's not just sparkle. And uh, and I'll be very vulnerable. When you land on the substance, you get better results. But I'll be honest, I don't think your surveys increase. Let's say the survey is five to one, five being the highest. If I just came in and entertained and motivated, I actually think I'd stay at the fives all the time because it's just a nice little dopamine hit. Everyone's like, that ah, was so fun. Steve was fun. What did you learn from it? I don't know, but it was so fun. 
was so energetic. What did you take from it? Well, it's just so fun. And uh, I'm just not into that. So the surveys might go to a four, but I think the results um, will last in perpetuity. That's a cool way to think about it. I'd rather get a four, yeah. make an impact yep. that lasts, yep. than a five that lasts for a day or a week. Listen, when you survey people, people out there, if you're getting fives all the time, something's something's up. Something's weird. I mean, first of all, I don't think anyone in their right mind can like just get fives across the board. Like you said, everyone, there's going to be someone who just doesn't resonate with the sound. But yeah, I could easily default to shtick and bits. And you know, there's a lot of people going through pain right now. So what they need is just a little levity. But I'd love to share levity, but also bring some substance to it. So yeah, you, you probably are going to go down from the five to a four. Because when you ask people to do some things that, that, that may be a little uncomfortable or do some things that they don't want to do, listen, it sounds like you're a fun sponge when you're saying things like, hey, folks, let's try to get as much rest as we can. Hey, let's do our best to turn off our technology a half hour before we go to bed. Like, that's not sparkly. Like, I don't, I've never gotten a standing ovation when I share like substance, but I don't mind when pens come out and when people nod knowingly, like that to me is a standing ovation uh, in a sense. So I think we need to humble ourselves and presenters need to be aware that um, there is a high on stage. And we have to surround ourselves with people that will give us the honest feedback because eventually, if you fall for that dopamine, you could start to believe you are the answer. And that's when you pull a hamstring on stage, metaphorically and literally. Well, it reminds me of second <laughs> order thinking. And so for decision-making, a lot of my clients, we go through this process and we ask, all right, how's this going to make me feel 10 minutes from now, 10 months yeah. from now, and 10 years from now? And instead of just playing in 10 minutes from now, let's zoom out to 10 months from now. Instead of just thinking about in the next 10 months, let's think about the next 10 years. And sometimes the thing that's painful in the next 10 minutes is exactly what we need 10 years from now. And sometimes the thing that's painful 10 years from now is actually what we need to do in, in 10 minutes. And so we all have decisions that we have to make. And what I'm hearing from you is, I want to challenge them on the decisions they're making. And sometimes that challenge will cause us to maybe level down and go into vulnerability or go into discomfort and go into a space that's uncomfortable for them 10 minutes after my speech, but might be exactly what they need 10 years after. after that is huge. And it goes, we frame it a little differently. I like the way you framed it. Like if we're just going for immediate impact, we're putting ourselves in a real quick fix dynamic which will move you back to performer. So let's stay with performer presenter for a moment there. Yes, I love what you're saying. And I think this is relevant uh, for teachers. It is, we're talking about public speaking presentation, but really any interaction, you know, any high stakes interaction, you know, the idea that I think of it as like we're planting seeds because if we only think immediate growth, then we're going to go for the shock. We're going to go big. We're gonna, all the eights are going to default to nine. Um, Here's, you know, you didn't ask this, but, you know, we talked about like dimmer switch 853 is a, is a nice concept to, to sort of change speeds and find that rhythm. Uh, we have an exercise for this exact issue going from performer to presenter, and it's called objectives. And we ask all of our presenters, and I want to share this because I, I believe it's conceptual and it's, I think it is a do not disturby practicality is one word that's positive that you're trying to make your audience feel. It's an objective. So when we present, what's one positive word? that we're trying to make the audience feel. And what we're doing is we're sending it off of our own desires. And we're saying like, so for instance, if I'm thinking of not just you, 
Brian as the audience, but like your audience. And like you said, I don't know the audience exactly and I can't see anyone, but my objective is to make your audience. And I I wrote this down. I want your audience to feel informed. That's a really good objective for me because it, 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 it lowers my energy a little bit. It forces me to kind of get to the point because I love to go on and use metaphor. But if every presenter could think of one positive word, they want to make that audience feel. And it's all, it has to fill this sentence. I, I would love the audience to feel encouraged, intrigued, informed, um, excited, confident, you know, um, included, loved. What it actually does is it gets us to stop being on stage all the time going, I hope they like me, I hope they like me, which I believe is the gateway for pride and ego to destroy you when you're on stage, when you think, I hope the audience likes me, which by the way, is a very hard thing to move out of because who in their right mind goes on stage thinking, I hope they don't like me. So it's a weird balance. So objectives, one positive word you want to make your Zoom audience feel, your podcast audience feel, your children feel, and it works really well. And the reason I know that is because when we try to use negative objectives, they work. So why not game it and flip it? So my objective was to make your audience feel informed. They may not like me. They may not love my sound, but I hope they took something that they could use that's practical, that they could institute immediately. And then I've achieved my objective, which was not, I hope I blow them away. I hope I spit fire. I hope they leave this podcast going, oh my gosh, that was the greatest podcast Brian has ever had in seven years. Like that's crazy. And when I think that way, I go from an eight to an 11 and my authenticity is out the window. Can I challenge you a little bit on, on that concept? Yeah. Because I'm going back to the the 10 minute, 10 month, 10 year thing. And I'm I'm playing that through my head. And I'm hearing you say informed, but I heard you say feel informed. Yeah, no, actually I, we used to say, so I want them to be informed. Yeah, no, it, it, I, you chat. We used to say feel, and I, it sounded very manipulative. You know, well, well, let me let me dive into this a little bit, though, because what I've realized in my world, uh, especially in our sports psychology community, we are very focused on mindset and the mm -hmm. head. And the more I worked with people, the more I realized that emotions drive behavior in an insane way, in an amazing yeah. way. And I'm wondering if there's almost because informed to me is very heady. I want to have wisdom or knowledge, information. But then okay. a lot of what you talked about is this, uh, like moving people. Uh, and then we move people with some connection or something emotional uh, from an experiential standpoint. And I'm wondering, like I have a meeting today at 12 o'clock with the CEO of a company that we're doing a, pre we're doing a facilitated offsite for two days next week for. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I was going to, take what you said and, and ask her that. How do you want people to feel mm -hmm. uh, when we finish next week? And I think there's almost like an opportunity to get into the head and the body here, which is like, I want them to be informed and have the knowledge. And I want them to feel connected, enthusiastic, excited, sure. mm -hmm. um, curious, uh, whatever the emotion, wonder, awe, like there. I'm wondering if you blend the two of those and you bring Good. both of them together. Yeah. Is that powerful? Because memories are, are, are seeped in emotion and they're, yeah. that's what's the stickiness. And I would, I know your stuff is very experiential and you want them to feel the experience and you want them yeah. to play with it. And I'm wondering if we bring both the head and the body, both emotion and the adjective 
that would go to the head and be more informing or logical or knowledge or wisdom or tool-based and how do we maybe blend both of those so i feel x and Mm -hmm. i know y or whatever those are and maybe that maybe that's oversimplifying it no i think it's really good The, the the as I process out loud, it's almost like the objective. The word is how I want the audience to be. There's almost like a bee in a feel. Um, and it's it's really fascinating you 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 stepped in on that because we used to say I want the audience to feel many years ago, and it didn't resonate with me because it, it it felt a little bit like you know like we want to we want to move them into this feeling when when really knows we'd like them to be the best way I could sort of describe it where we're heading now, and we're still in the process because the the beauty of of game theory and game-based learning is you're kind of constantly in the kitchen sort of, you know, mixing things. You're you're not reinventing all the time, but you're adjusting. One thing we have done is we've taken objectives and let's call it, uh, we want the audience to be, like I said, informed. You know, that's not a, a wild feeling of emotion. It's actually you can get that feedback. Hey, did you get something out of this? If they literally say nothing, I got, I was not informed at all. Then I did not reach that objective. And then you, you go to the, uh, the, the feeling that can drive them to what we call a good to do. So what is the good to do? What's the practical behavior that you can institute to help an audience be informed. And then you kind of start to land it with things like what we started with helping Amy with grace turn that do not disturb on or helping your staff member when they come into your office, put the laptop down. What do you call that? Good to do laptop down, you know? Um, So you go from B to a feeling that uh, produces a behavior. Yeah. And I'm wondering if I should ask. So Mm. when I meet with the CEO, I'm going to ask, Hey, what do you want your company to feel when next Thursday, when we're done? And what do you want them to be? Yeah, uh, I think and- you'd start with B, actually. I think that the feeling is going to propel them into the behavior. The B is going to be in perpetuity. That's yeah, really like- good, Brian. You just shifted objective slightly. Well done, because the game has been in existence 27 years. And <laughs> now- I want to be informed and inspired yeah. to continue to do so, right? Like that, yeah. that, to me, if we're thinking of success, yeah. is really pretty awesome. So I love this. I want to be informed and then, okay, what's, sorry, what's the, and you could do this with the CEO, by the way, listeners run with, just don't start a company called game over or game off. Right. And don't write a book. That's the same title as Brian's book. Right. But like there's concepts we can share with folks and they can run with it. If what, how do you want your, your audience to be uh, uh, for the CEO next week? And then what are some behaviors that you could institute that will allow that objective to be achieved? Right. If I want to be, I want this audience, I want this team to be, I'm just making this up on the fly, a CEO now. I want this audience to be um uh uh encouraged, right? Maybe they're going through a difficult time right now. Okay, that's super. But if we stop there, we're kind of at that poster on the wall that says encourage with the breaching whale. You know, it's like it's no company is gonna change because of a positive poster on a wall. But within what's the behavior that they can put into play? Well, maybe we need to return emails within 24 hours. Well, I like that. Maybe we need to um, honor all uh, PTOs. And these are all practical behaviors that get us back to the objective of being encouraged. Yeah. And the feeling part, just to go back to it, your point, it's not the values on the wall or the whale or the mission statement on the wall, but it is what we feel when we enter the building or a lot of people are remote now. What do we feel 
working for this company. And if we feel disconnected, if we feel unappreciated, if we feel not valuable, that's going to cause us to not want to work here anymore or produce crap work. And And can I go further here? This is actually really important, Brian. I hope the listeners kind of understand the complexity of this because it is as I like grab my head. It's, it can get to where if we only stay with the feelings, we're going to be in a really difficult place because sometimes those feelings are coming, maybe having nothing to do with the workplace culture. It could be just people are living their lives and dealing with struggles and balancing it all. Right. So to honor and acknowledge that, let's say you're a staff member of mine, you're feeling disconnected. Part of that I have to take responsibility for, but I have to understand what can I do? So then at some point I got to move off the feelings, once I know you're feeling disconnected to think, what are some behaviors that will honor you, that will hopefully mitigate that disconnection and make you be connected? So then I'm now focusing on behaviors versus chasing the feelings and staying in that in that cycle. So then the behavior could be, I'm just being really practical now. Maybe it's important for you to start the meeting next time we take the Zoom because you're my colleague and you deserve that. Like now I'm into behaviors, right? Maybe we need to honor people's birthdays and just remember their work anniversaries. Maybe we need to honor PTOs. And when you're on a PTO, don't call you at one to apologize and say, sorry, Brian, you're the only one that does this really well. I don't mean to bother you while you're on vacation with your family. And now by putting it into behaviors, maybe I'm moving you from disconnected to trust to honored, to maybe a little bit more connected. So I'm really into behaviors and practicality because if you stay in the emotions, you may be disconnected because you're just dealing with something that has nothing to do with me leading the company. And I take it personally. And then I try too hard. Yeah. I just created like a roadmap on where I'm taking notes. It's like be, behave, and then it funnels to the opportunity to feel and think. And it doesn't mean just because we be and behave to your point that we're going to feel and think a certain way. If I have a death in my family, I'm going to feel sad. And that, by the way, is completely appropriate. Absolutely. Like feeling angry, feeling frustrated, like those feelings are part of the human existence and experience. But if we go to a baseline and a standard, um, we want our being and our behavior to drive how we feel generally, you know, when, when there's not that sort of outside external, noise and and distraction. Last thing I'll say on this, this is really something I've experienced through the pandemic and post. We very rarely argue good behaviors. So if I have a behavior that is to honor you and give you space and to celebrate uh, you authentically, it's a hard one to argue. You know, if my behavior is when you come into my office, I always put my laptop down to give you the eye contact you deserve. That's a hard one. It's that's that's a difficult one to go south. You with me? And if we can come up with as leaders, presenters, practical behaviors that are universal kindness and truth. I don't mean over the top, laptop down, um, remember someone's work anniversary, honor PTOs, right? I mean, this is where the crowd doesn't go wild. Like when someone's on a PTO, unless it's an emergency, don't bother them. Like those are things that I've found no companies argue with. And therefore we're in a safe place. So if you are dealing with an extreme situation, like a loss in your family, and my behavior is to not bother you on your PTO, that aligns. 
but I have no idea what you're going through. And I'm not going to invade your space. And I'm going to try to give you space. But when we go to behaviors and you very rarely get stuck in a eight hour day arguing the behaviors, we can argue feelings and words and semantics till the day is done. And that's a dangerous place to be. You can end up getting captured and then you don't move into behaviors. Yeah. And just to to wrap this all up and, and close it, I think it, it dovetails really well with that three, five, eight concept that you were talking about is I may default be a three, but if you know my behavior and I'm consistent with that behavior and we have an agreement on what is acceptable and not acceptable, and I have integrity in my behavior, then even though I might be wired as an eight and you might be wired as a three, like we're good. And I know that to be the case because some of the people that I'm closest with in my life might be at a different frequency on that scale, but I know who they are. I know their behavior and they may feel like crap one day or feel like something else another day, but because they're consistent with their being and their behavior, we can have a, a strong relationship that's based off of action and behavior so that when I do droop or when they droop, we can have each other's back. And yeah. And that's, I think what you're hitting on is the integrity of a culture, whether that's a family, friendships, uh, a community, an organization, a team, do we have shared behaviors that we value and, and that we know, and we agree to as far as how we interact with each other. And that takes time. And that goes back to kind of what I'm, my heart is, and it's a great landing is relationships are key and you have to build that trust and there's no quick fix. You know, we sat and talked for an hour and a half, Brian. I love chatting with you. I think we're aligned in terms of where our hearts are and we're similar in terms of our rhythm and our openness and vulnerability and humility and, you know, where we are age-wise. But yeah, if there's one takeaway, do not rush relationships. It takes time. As Amy said, or maybe Brene Brown, yeah, Brene Brown, you've got to earn the right. If you've been in that space with each other, you can give that feedback. So I would just encourage everyone, don't, don't force the relationship and try to have an easy, quick fix right away. It takes time. Once you give it that time, all these things we talked about can be in play. And last thing I'll say, and they'll be in play imperfectly. We have to stop this public speaking presentation, leadership, teamwork. It's all wonderful. And you're the only one not doing it. Well, no, it's very challenging and messy because human beings are complicated and therefore, I believe in that complication. Levity is key. Simplicity is key. And consistency is key. If we can bring those three together, we can actually run this play on the daily and move from hype speech, move from performance, and we can start to all like move into presentation. Yeah. And before we wind, there's a, I went on a retreat and I was there to think about how I can make my relationships better in my life. And I came up with this formula, which is three A's. And the first day was appreciation. If mm. I'm in a relationship with anyone, I should be grateful that I have relationships yeah. and that that person's in my life. The second is acceptance. And that's the imperfection that you talked about. Yeah. I'm imperfect and I'm oh. going to do things that I'm not proud of. So why wouldn't somebody else be imperfect and sometimes do things that they're not proud of? And yeah. there needs to be an acceptance of people that they are imperfect. And sometimes their actions are who they are and they're trying the best they can. And then the third A is actually a two A it's ask. Uh, and I've realized like, I'm not great at asking my relationships, what my needs are. 
Um, and I need to get better at asking them, Hey, this is what I need. And then I need to ask them what their needs are. And sometimes we assume another a that our needs are the same as their needs and they're not always the case. So I'll leave people with that little, um, framework because it's been a game changer for me and my relationships. And, uh, to your point, like, what do we remember when we're on our deathbed? It's it, life is just based on our interactions with other human beings. Uh, Steve, I think I got to one question. I think there was one question that I wrote down. It was the performing uh, first presenting concept that struck me when we talked on our pre-call. And I say this often, my best interviews, in my opinion, the ones I like the most are when I don't get to the questions because Mm -hmm. it means that we followed curiosity, that there was an interaction that was engaging and that I didn't have to go to my preparation and I could just be present and and flow with you. Uh, I think it's obvious for both of us that we flow well together and, and I'm grateful for that. If people want to experience Game On Nation, follow you on social media, where are the best places for them to do that? Oh, thanks, Brian. Yeah, GameOnNation.com. I still say www, but I don't think I need to do that. <laughs> it goes back to the technology thing we talked about at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, GameOnNation.com. And, and we've got a weekly uh, blog and the resources we send out. So we've got that a subscribe. We're not selling anything right now, just sending out a weekly blog and some video content, really focusing on public speaking and presentation skills. Again, with the idea that everyone's a presenter. And if you think about it that way, then people that don't have a background in performing can put themselves in that arena. They can place themselves as a presenter in some form or fashion. So that's our goal over the next few uh, months is to continue to build our community so we can share these resources. And a lot of these concepts like 853, dimmer switch, objectives, we want to share these exercises so people can put them into play. And and that's, that's that's really it. That's where people can find us. Awesome. Steve's also on social media. So he's on X Twitter, whatever it's going to be called at yeah. Steve, she- Steve Shenbaum. He's on Instagram at Steve Shenbaum and LinkedIn. He's also at Steve Shenbaum. We'll put that in the show notes. Uh, I'm at Brian Levinson on Twitter X, uh, LinkedIn. Uh, and then you can listen to all of these conversations at strongskills.co slash podcast. Steve, this was a blast. I'm not surprised. It was a blast. And, uh, I'm glad our paths crossed again and looking forward to the next time you're in my neck of the woods or I'm in your neck of the woods and hopefully we can break bread in person and get to know each other even better. So thank you for being you and and thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Brian. You're awesome. Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode gem. I can see things when I improv with people. So we're constantly giving feedback. So we also have to be open to receiving it but that's our 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 foundation for feedback say what you saw if you didn't see it don't say it and if it's not graceful save it 